En Ford creemos que ya sea que estés bajo el foco de atención o bajo tu propio techo, que tengas 90 minutos o 9 horas, que estés empezando cambios o un largo viaje, Fortaleza es hacer todo, como si el mundo entero te estuviera mirando. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Fuerza así de inteligente, solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. Aloha mamá, sorry por responder hasta ahora. Estuve toda la tarde con mi unidad arreglando un helicóptero Black Hawk. Hawái es increíble, luego te cuento más. Te quiero. Be all you can be, visitando goarmy.com diagonal español. Univision Audio. Hey, listeners, note. This episode contains content that might not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Uh, what is your emergency? I'm at Smurfit Stone, Orlando, which is on 7th Avenue. I just had my leg amputated by a bailiff. I need a 911 assistance immediately, please. You just had your leg amputated by a bailiff? Yes, ma'am. It is not a joke. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna bleed to death. I'm afraid. Please. Okay. Where, where okay. are you? Where are you again? Tell me where Murphy you are. Stone. Murphy Stone. Murphy Stone. Yes, ma'am. It's a recycling place on Seventh Avenue. Seventh Avenue. And OBT. Seventh Avenue. OBT. It's Seventh Avenue and Recycle Boulevard. Okay. Hold on. Hold on for the paramedics first. Ma'am, I'm gonna die. Hold on, please help me. Spell the name of that company. I'm trying to find an address for them. It's Murphy. S M U R F I T. Oh, Hello, this is Fire Department. What's the address of emergency, sir? We're trying to find it. Spell, spell that company again. My leg. Are you in this? amputated by a bailer. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't hear you. What was it? My leg has been amputated uh -huh. by a bailer, sir. On a, ba on a bailer. And where are you located at, sir? Murphy Stone, 7th Avenue and Recycle Boulevard. 7th Avenue and Recycle? Yes, sir. Are you there by yourself, sir? No, sir, I'm not, but no one's hearing me. And I'm really losing blood, sir. I'm going to okay. die. All right, sir. You're at Recycle Center Drive? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, and what business, Avenue. And what business are you at, sir? Murphit Stone. Murphit Stone? Murphit. S-M-U-R-F-I-T. Murphit? Yes, sir. Okay. And do you have anything there you can control the bleeding with, sir? Sir, I have nothing, sir. Okay. What's the phone number you're calling from, sir? My cell phone, 407. Okay. Is your leg, are you or your leg still stuck in the machine, sir? I am out. My leg is down in there. It was under, it was at my ankle, sir. Okay. Is it, is it above the knee, below the knee? Below the knee. It was at my ankle, sir. Okay. And uh, how old are you, sir? I'm 20, sir. 20. Yeah. Um, We're We're is there people back. on the way? Yeah, they're on the way, sir, but do you, do you have anything at all you can use to control the bleeding, even if you have to take your shirt off? I have my jeans wrapped up around it, sir. Okay. You don't have a tight as a tourniquet. You just have, you're holding pressure to it, right? Right. Okay. We're coming as fast as we can. I'm going to stay on the phone with you, sir. Sir, I think I'm going to pass out. Okay. Could you please That's do fine. me a favor? If I give you a phone number, can you call my mother? What is that number, sir? 407. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's my cell phone. Can you please okay. tell her I said I love her? I'm not going to die on her, but I love her anyways. Can you please tell her that? Yeah, we're coming, sir. You're not, and every, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay, okay? We're not also at Yeah, Yeah, so you're also on route. Yes. Okay, we're coming as far, coming as fast as we can. I want you to control the bleeding, sir, with your one hand, okay? Yes, sir. I'm controlling it, sir. Okay. Where on the property is this machine located? When you come in, uh -huh. you're going to go straight. You're going to see... A building, but you keep going, you're going to see a big blue baler. Uh -huh. Sir, I'm in the middle of that baler. I'm not moving. Okay. Sir, how much blood do I have to lose before I die? Um, I don't know, sir, but that's fine. Just just hold that shirt. Just continue to hold that shirt on there. Sir, I'm going to die. No, you're not, sir. My mother is going to... I'm not going to die from this. My mother is going to kill me. Okay. We're, we're coming, sir. 
We're coming. Have you called my mother? I haven't called her, sir. We will call her. Okay, thank you very much. We're coming. Can I ask if anybody else has called in from this location? Because I'm just curious if any of my people were called. I don't see any other calls, sir. That's great. <laughs> I love these guys. Okay, sir? Yeah, I'm here, sir. What is, what is your name? My name's Chef, sir. I love you, dude. Okay, we're coming. Yes, were... we can. Sir, uh, just, we're coming as fast as we can. Just keep talking to me and use your other hand to uh, continue to control that bleeding, okay? Uh, can, you please, can you please play with me a Can you please play with me? Okay, go ahead, sir. It will be good. I bring you all my sins I've ever committed, Lord, and I love you so much. Please don't let me die, but if I do die, Lord, please let me go to the good place. I know I've done so much shit in my life, Lord. I've done so much, but Lord, please just let me be okay. And if I'm not okay, let me live in heaven with you. Please do with my mother, keep her strong, because I know she's not going to be happy. God, please let me get through this. Sir, I don't hear an ambulance or anything. Sir, they're, they're coming as fast as they can, sir. Are you sure you have the right address? It's in Orlando. It's off of OVC in that area. Yeah, you're down off of um, Lance Street Road, Matt. Yes, sir. Okay, we're coming as fast as we can, sir. We're coming as fast as we can. Are they going to have painkiller for me? Sir, yeah, if you're going to need it, they're going to they're gonna give you whatever you need, sir, okay? Sir, I think I'm going to throw up. Empty, we're on scene. Okay, okay, you're on the scene, SO? Okay. Please don't let me you, die. You're not going to die, sir. How are you doing with your uh, with the control and the bleeding? It's pretty much stopped, but I don't okay. know how much longer I can keep my hands okay. sir. Well, what, that's fine. I understand because you're probably feeling faint, right? Yes, sir. Okay, well, uh, that's why I want you to continue to talk to me, okay? That'll take you my down. Are now? They're coming. They're just around the corner from you, okay? Right. What, what I want you to do is I want you to continue to continue to hold that pressure on there, even though you said the bleeding has stopped, okay? Sir? Yes, sir. I forgot about my dad. My, my dad, my stepdad, he adopted me. Mm -hmm. Please tell him I love him, too. Yes, sir. What is your name? My name is John. John? Yeah, John okay. Maynard, M-A-Y-N-A-R-D. Okay. Sir, I'm going to get so fucking fired. Sir, yes, sir. I need to interrupt. The sheriff's office, we can't find him in the recycle center. Where about are you? Okay, he said he's all the way in the back. John, you're right. You're behind the building at the big blue machine, right? I'm in the blue machine, yes, sir. Did you copy that, S.O.? Yeah, right behind the building okay. near a big blue machine. Big blue machine, yes. It has a, it has sails all around it, maybe a forklift out front. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's pretty gruesome in here, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. No, I understand, I understand. There's, the police are there now looking for you, okay? Sir, I'm going to pass out. Okay, no, I want you to keep talking to me. You're going to be fine. Hello. They're coming, John. John, they're coming. Sir? They're coming, John. Yes, John. John, stay with me. I'm such a Z right now, Sue. Oh, I'm sorry, what's that, John? My... I'm here, John. Stay with me. Sir? Yes, sir. You're my hero. John? You're my they're hero. They're coming. Oh, that, 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 that's fine. You're my fucking hero, dude. Right. Do, you hear somebody, do you hear somebody there now, John? I hear somebody in the background. That's my coworker, Richie. Okay, he's he just fine. Friend. Okay, so yeah. he just found you? John. Yeah. Your coworker just found you, right? Yeah, he just found me. Okay. Tell you, is he still there with you? No, he wants to get the police. Okay. Okay, sir. Yeah, that's I fine. Love, I love everybody. Okay, they're coming. They're coming as fast as they can. John, you're going to be okay. We're going to help you. They're, they're coming. They're, John, they're coming as fast as they can. I'm fixing the jam, sir. I'm sorry, John. Yes, sir. Yeah, we're here. I'm here, sir. Are you okay. there? Yes, I'm here. You're talking to the police right now? Sir. Okay. That's good. Sir, I'm, sir, I'm go John. All it is in my pocket. Okay. Sir. Yes, sir. Are you talking to me or the police, John? I'm talking to both of you. Okay. Am I going to get jail for this? I don't know. I don't... I got... Sir. Hey, John. John. Yes, sir. Yes, all right. Sir, what, I, all right. Uh, what I need you to do, uh, is there one police officer there with you or two? 
What? Is there one police officer or two there? How many police officers are there? This is a bailing machine, sir. I'm on the phone. Yes, sir. Okay, sir. He's telling me I can hang up with you now. You're gonna hang up with me? Okay. Yeah. He's All right. Telling me. All right. We're gonna. We can disconnect now, sir. All right, John. They're gonna take. They're gonna take good care of you. Okay. And you? Yeah, I will take care of calling your mother. I'm gonna write you a letter and send you flowers. Okay, John. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take care. Of, take. Call your mother. Okay. Sir. Actually, yep. it might be smarter to call my dad because my mom will probably pass out. Okay, what is your mother, your dad's phone number? Okay, I'm going to hang up with you. Sorry, can you call my mom? Sorry, I got to go. Hello everyone, here to another episode of In Our Words. I'm your host, Ambra Gutierrez, and today is someone that went through something unbelievable and the most of us wouldn't be able to handle the way he did. John Maynard, as you just heard in the 911 call, got his leg amputated by a bailer. And while he was bleeding to death and probably feeling an unbelievable pain, he called 911 and kept a calm and polite attitude. So much respect. So welcome, John. Thank you so much for being here with me today and speak about your story. How are you today? I'm doing really good. It's, it's a nice day. Thank you very much for uh, having me be able to talk to you. It's just a, an honor and a pleasure. So um, I wanted to go back to before the incident. And I understand that happened while you were working. And where exactly did you work? Uh, I was actually an employee for Smurfit Stone. And um, we were a subset of WSI. So WSI actually was a uh, trash collecting company, and then we were a recycling company, and they would collect all the trash in the uh, area, actually several surrounding counties, and then uh, our employees at Smurfit Stone would actually sort through it and find anything recyclable and, you know, obviously then re recycle it. Is this something you were doing since a long time before the accident, like you were working in this for a long uh, I got hired by the company only around four months prior, and I actually didn't even get hired to work on the machinery at all. I was supposed to just be a ground sorter, and my job was supposed to just be going through the different trash to uh, pull out particular materials. But my boss said that he saw a lot of potential and very quickly started moving me up. And uh, I had actually only just begun working with the bailing machine about a month and a half to maybe two months prior to my accident. Oh, wow. So take us to the day that this accident happened. How was the routine during the day? And then what exactly happened that day? Well, it, it sounds uh, really cliche to say, but um, it was honestly just a completely normal day. Um, I worked the overnight shift at that point, which that's what they called it, but it wasn't actually a true overnight. Um, we would come in around 3, uh, 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, and we would work until around 11 p.m. And uh, so I had prior to that been working 6 a.m. to around 5 p.m. So I was enjoying being able to sleep in more and have some time in the uh, morning before work. So that morning I got up, I did my normal routine. I had actually just moved out about a week earlier into a, a apartment with a roommate. So my roommate and I were, you know, just hanging out. We played Guitar Hero and everything just seemed completely normal. I uh, had just gone for a run the night before because I was an avid runner and my mom had actually asked me if I could give her a phone call and I had texted her that I was going to be going for a run but I would call her in the morning because uh, it was getting late and so I called my mom spoke to her I was supposed to be actually going to buy my motorcycle when I got off of work that night 
So I was really excited about going to pick up my motorcycle. And um, I went to work and it had unfortunately been raining very heavily most of the morning and into the early afternoon. And um, it's not unusual for right here in Florida, but uh, it does make it a little bit difficult to bail cardboard because the machine runs entirely on sensors and it can tell you how much material you're pushing into your bailing hopper based on the weight of the material on the loading belt. And when it rains really heavily, it saturates the cardboard and that makes the cardboard weigh up to four or five times more than it should. So your sensors are completely useless and you have to just kind of judge it by eye. So we were all um, pretty well into our shift. It was around a seven, uh, seven o'clock at night. And, you know, the day was going smoothly. It had, hadn't been raining for a while. It was shaping up to be an easy night. And I was just looking forward to getting off of work soon and going and getting my bike. And um, my machine was reading that I had a substantial amount of cardboard coming up the loading belt. But I chalked it up to just being overloaded with water. And I actually overestimated how much of it was water, water weight and how much of it wasn't just actual material. And I ended up dropping too much material into the hopper. And um, that, that actually jammed up the machine, which, you know, it's not unusual to get minor jams, but I could tell immediately that there was way too much material in the machine and this was going to be a pretty decent jam. So then how the accident happened because the overweight of the material in the machine? Well, the accident ended up happening. Uh, I noticed as soon as I noticed that the machine was jammed up, I began to do the process of, of fixing the jam. At the time, um, the overnight crew, uh, I was actually the lockout tagout certified operator and I was the confined space certified operator. So that meant that basically... If anything went wrong, it was my job to go into the machine to fix it. So um, I had to actually shut the machine down and I had it, you know, ready to, to go into it. And I was inside of the machine fixing the jam. I was pulling material out of the way and getting excess material out of the machine. And we actually, I heard the machine starting to come on while I was inside of it. And uh, I, I knew it's, it's impossible. I knew there's no way this machine could be turning on because I had it turned off. I had the um, emergency stop button was even pushed. So I knew that there was no way this machine could be starting itself up. But uh, it was very unmistakable that I could hear the engines kicking on. And the machine uh, had a, it's a horizontal bailing machine. And the uh, compacting ram actually came up to about my chest. And I could see the ram start to move across the ground towards me and I realized I uh, you know I don't know exactly what happened but somehow this machine is moving again and uh, I need to get up and out of the machine before it crushes me to death oh that, that's crazy we can hear in the call did you mention if anyone else has called regarding the same incident well at the uh at the overnight shift, there was actually only three people still on property after around 5 p.m., and that was myself, my forklift operator, and then the uh, operator who would actually load the machine with the material. And once I noticed just how bad the jam was going to be, I had told them to go ahead and take their breaks because we were due for a break soon anyways, and I figured it made sense for them to take their break while I spent you know, 20, 30 minutes fixing this jam rather than to have them just stand around and watch me 
and then go and take a break afterwards. And so I had actually sent them to the other side of the plant over towards the break room, leaving me entirely alone on the far end of the of the recycling plant. So there was nobody around me. And when I first climbed back out of the machine, because the machine took my leg off pretty much instantaneously, I um, as the ram was coming towards me, I had managed to jump up on top of it and pull myself kind of up and out of the way, but it caught my work boot and it pulled my leg back through and then it snapped my leg and it, it amputated my foot right there on the scene. And so when I got out of the machine, I had grabbed my walkie-talkie and I radioed for, uh, you know, can you call 911? I don't know what happened, but the machine turned on. It just cut my foot off. And what I didn't know was that my coworkers actually broke protocol and they turned their walkie-talkies off when they went on break, which um, you're not supposed to do. Your walkie-talkies are supposed to be on at all times. Um, so nobody heard my distress call. Now, very coincidentally, a different company that we had no affiliation with that was about four or five miles up the road happened to be on the same frequency as my walkie-talkie. And one person at that company heard my call, but she felt like it was a prank. And she actually began yelling at me that it's not a funny joke. This is a professional walkie-talkie line, that this isn't something for kids to be playing with, and that you don't joke around about stuff like that. And she proceeded to just yell at me that um, I needed to get off the walkie-talkie. And at that point, I'd actually already put the walkie-talkie down, and I had lied down on the floor, and I couldn't quite get back up again because I had no strength left to go get the walkie-talkie. So I wasn't able to tell her, like, no, I'm serious. This isn't a joke. And so she just kept yelling at me. And um, we hear that you were worried about your mom and that you were mentioning that if you didn't die that time, she would have killed you because, I mean, knowing of the situation. But um, tell us a bit about the moments after the accident with your family, how they reacted and when they saw you at the hospital. Well, I was um, I was concerned that my mom was going to freak out because uh, growing up, she was always, you know, I was always very close with my mom and, you know, I was the only child. So I knew that you know, obviously no mother wants to hear that their son was in an accident, but um, I I was very afraid that she would either A, you know, take it, take it very horribly and would possibly pass out. I didn't actually think that she would be mad at me. I mean, I said that partially joking, but at the same time, she always told me to be careful. So I knew that, you know, she was going to be like, I told you so. But when she did find out about what happened, you know, obviously she was just extremely grateful that I I survived and that I was for you know all practical purposes I was I was okay and um, you know I came out of surgery in the hospital and uh, most of my family and a lot of friends were actually in the room and they were all just very happy because I was in surgery for a pretty decent amount of time so by the time I came out of surgery um, the two co-workers that had been there um, had actually made it up to the hospital and then uh, a couple of other people that weren't working at that shift, but that I had worked with also came up. And uh, everybody, everybody was just really happy that I was, you know, that I was alive, obviously. And um, how were you able to keep calm during the call like the, with the pain and uh, like seeing what was happening? I mean, you were alone and you thought nobody would have like helped you. Nobody knew you were there and what you were thinking. 
Um, you know, to be honest, I always was uh, somebody that would freak out over even like the tiniest injury. So um, I never would have imagined that I would stay calm in a situation like that. But, you know, I think that just the the gravity of the situation really sunk in pretty quickly. And to be honest, I didn't see there being any chance of me surviving. I was pretty sure that, I mean, I was bleeding quite heavily and I was pretty sure I was going to actually die. So um, I think a lot of the panic that you might feel um, like, you know, oh my gosh, I need to do this. I need to do that. What am I going to do? I wasn't really feeling any of that because I was I was pretty aware. I don't think I'm going to come through this. And so at that point, my goal was just, you know, I don't want to die here in this trash machine. I don't want to die in a bunch of trash. So I stayed calm because I really, I didn't really think that there was any reason to be freaking out because I didn't think anything I did was going to save me anyways. And um, I just wanted to be able to get my final words out there. I wanted to let my mom know you know, that I loved her. I wanted to be able to say a final prayer. And then um, the thing is, as I went further into the into the 911 call, I began to realize that I actually might be able to survive this. And as that realization came in, I think I was already past the point where I should have freaked out. And now I was at the point where it was just, you know, what do I need to do to ensure that I stay alive? And um, so, you know, I just didn't almost, I almost didn't have time to panic they they told me that um see, I mean I would love to say that I was just I was that good and I knew if I panicked I would I would you know put myself into a worse situation but I really wasn't even thinking about that but that's what they did tell me afterwards was that absolutely if I had panicked it would have increased my heart rate it would have increased the blood flow and I would have bled out a lot sooner and uh, I most likely would not have survived if I had panicked I wouldn't have been able to be so calm on the phone call to where I could direct them to me because they were having a lot of trouble locating me. So, um, you know, they definitely said me being calm did definitely help in saving my life. And, you know, I I don't really, like I said, I don't know exactly how I stayed so calm. I think it was just a combination of everything. Um, They definitely did tell me the paramedics, when they first began treating me, they initially treated me for shock because it only made sense that I had gone into shock. But they said that I was so coherent and I was I was talking in complete sentences. I was I was definitely suffering from a loss of blood. So my my talking was labored, but I was completely coherent. And they said that they were surprised to see I actually had not gone into shock and they actually didn't end up treating me for shock. And so um, but they said that I was still showing the same calmness level of somebody that they would have expected to have gone into shock. So that definitely, um, you know, it definitely contributed to me still being here right now. Wow. What was the most difficult thing into adapting to this new way of life? Um, you know, there was a lot of physical difficulties, uh, but I found that, you know, I don't want to say it was easy to overcome them, but it was a lot easier than I would have imagined. But the mental side of things was probably the most difficult um keeping myself from falling into a a depression um why me why did this happen to me you know like I said I was supposed to go by my motorcycle that afternoon well that evening and instead I ended up in an ambulance going to a hospital so you know there was the battle of not 
getting bitter, not getting depressed. There was also um, some guilt. We found out during the uh, due diligence process of, of a lawsuit that apparently there was not very much prior case history of people who sued due to losing a limb or otherwise being injured in any way at all um, from a horizontal bailing ram. And we found out that the reason was because um, typically you didn't survive, you died. In fact, um, at the time of my accident, since they'd kept track for roughly 25 years, just in the United States alone, uh, around 100 people had died in the exact same type of accident that I survived. And meanwhile, um, worldwide, I was only the fourth person that they could find that had actually survived this. So um, there was the mental side of why did I get to survive? Am I doing enough with my life to make it worth it that I was spared when so many others weren't? And there was just a lot of weight that I was carrying mentally. And um, it was weird, too. Like, if you look in the mirror and you're used to seeing, you know, a, a full and complete body and you suddenly look in the mirror and you're like, this is me now. This is what I'm going to see for the next 60, 70, God willing, you know, next 60, 70 years. Um, so, you know, it was definitely the mental side of things was by far harder than anything I dealt with physically. How old are you now? I'm 28 now. The accident happened uh, just about eight years ago, a little over eight years ago. I had just had my 20th birthday. Wow. Yeah, I mean, facing all of these challenges mentally in that early age, it's something very impressive. Did you start doing anything to inspire others? Um, well... I was very extremely self-conscious of my of my disability. So for a good several months, even after getting my prosthetic leg, I still wanted to hide it and cover it with pants. I wouldn't go out in shorts. If I if I was caught outside of the house in shorts, I I would not go anywhere at all. And um, like I would wear shorts to go to the prosthetics office, but there was no way I would go anywhere else afterwards. I would go straight back home until I had pants on and um, it wasn't very long before I realized that this wasn't this wasn't the way I wanted to live the rest of my life but at the same time you know knowing that and being able to do something about it are two different things and it took me a while uh, it was around six months before I finally was ready to just say no I don't want to be self-conscious about this anymore I want to go back to living my life and so I made a video um, taking off and putting on my prosthetic leg and I kind of just described how my leg worked, and I I put that out onto YouTube, and that was originally just my way of getting it out there so that I could get over that hurdle and let people see it, and in a safe way where I'm not actually with anybody, it's all just entirely over the internet, and I didn't expect to have amputees message me saying that they saw my video and that they were happy to see that I, I seemed to be doing so well and I seemed, you know, happy and, and they wanted to know how they could how they could go about getting different, you know, like how could they be happier or, well, I see you, you're very good with your prosthetic. How can I do that? So I started making more videos and uh, I realized, well, things that I'm struggling with that I think I am the only person on the planet that could possibly be struggling with this well, there might be other people out there that are having the same issues. 
And so I started making videos of, of things that I was having problems with and the solutions that I found. And I started putting these videos out there and more and more people started writing me that I was, I was helping them out in ways that I couldn't understand. It was inspiring to them. And I just started making videos like that um, from that point on, just trying to inspire other amputees to see that, and, and people with any disability really, that your life doesn't have to be over just because you, you become disabled, just because your life changes, it doesn't have to end. But have you ever faced discrimination or you always adapted to anything so that you always found the solution in a way? Yeah, you know, it, it's sad to say that I actually did face discrimination over, you know, having lost a leg, which, you know, it, 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 it did bother me too. I would love to say that I hit that with complete positivity and was just like, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But um, before I lost my leg, I was a very, very avid runner. So after I got my first prosthetic and I was able to start walking again, I immediately began pushing for the next thing, which was I wanted a running leg and I wanted to learn to run again. And um, I actually received my running leg and began training on it. And I ran a 5K and um, started running around my neighborhood. And I was very excited. I mean, there is no mistaking that somebody has a prosthetic leg when they are running because you run entirely differently than an able-bodied person. But I still felt like personally... I was doing a very good job and I, I was very proud of myself. And then one day um, I actually got a, a a letter that somebody put in the mailbox. They didn't even mail it to me. They just stuck it in my mailbox. And it uh, essentially was saying that they're tired of seeing me run around the neighborhood. It's an eyesore. They don't want to see me hobbling through their streets because it disgusts them. And uh, they just basically went on this whole tangent about how they don't deserve to have to be subjected to seeing me run. And if I want to run, I should run at night when nobody's awake. And, you know, I would love to say that I was like, well, I don't care. I'm going to run. But it did hit me really hard. And it took me a long time before I ever ran again. Well, it's, it's good to hear that you have this character that, you know, you don't care of anything. You're just living your life. And that's inspiring because people have to understand that, especially a person like you or whoever wanted to inspire others and help others. That's the meaning of our life, knowing that we're here, we're doing something that is useful and that we are fighting for it. So, like, it's really, really great, and it's amazing. So you were talking about your YouTube channel. Do you also have other uh, social media that people can reach out to you if they wanted to, like, speak to you or ask you things? Uh, yeah, my, my YouTube is my, uh, my main form of social media. Uh, it's, you know, youtube.com slash crew9t, uh, nine and the letter T. But um, I also have the Facebook, um, which is, you know, facebook.com forward slash Johnny Crew 90. And uh, both of those are ways that um, anybody can reach out to me. I actually just as early as this morning got a, a message from a, a young man who just had an accident with a lawnmower and um, was looking for advice and some words of encouragement. And he, he actually messaged me both on YouTube and then from YouTube found the link to my Facebook and messaged me on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I'm always open for anybody, anybody that needs words of encouragement, advice, uh, even just, you know, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? 
And, you know, I'm still learning too, even eight years in. But if I if I know how to help, you know, I, I will. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always available on either of those either of those outlets. That's amazing, John. Really, really amazing. God bless you. And, and as always, I want to remind the audience that they can share their thoughts and experiences through our email in our words at univision.net. And that here we're going to finish this episode. And thank you so much, John. Uh, really, really, really was super, super nice talking to you. And um, hopefully I'll meet you, see you soon. And thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you very much. This was a, it was a real pleasure. Uh, thank you very much for, you know, letting me do this interview with you. Thank you so much. Boost Mobile tiene una gran oferta para que aproveches tu reembolso de impuestos al máximo y te mantengas conectado. Al cambiarte a Boost, recibe un 50% de descuento en tu primer mes de datos ilimitados. O, con un plan ilimitado de 40 dólares, llévate un Samsung Galaxy A15 5G por $39.99. Obtén los mejores teléfonos en las redes 5G más grandes del país. Con Boost Mobile, cambiarse es fácil. Solo visita BoostMobile.com. Boost Mobile, sin miedo al éxito. Para clientes nuevos y solamente en línea, requiere AroPay. 50% de descuento en el primer mes requiere un plan de $25 al mes. Aplican otras restricciones. Visita Boost Mobile. Este abril te invitamos a nuestra feria virtual Univisión Contigo rumbo a la universidad. Conéctate virtualmente con representantes de colegios y universidades en la costa este. Desde Nueva York a Florida, aprende sobre ayuda financiera, becas y otros recursos para continuar tu educación. Regístrate para asistir y para la oportunidad de ganar una tableta. Te esperamos en Univisión Contigo rumbo a la universidad del 3 al 9 de abril. Regístrate ya en univision.com diagonal universidad. 